I got an email here this last week from uh, Jim and uh, Alita, and they were thankful for what the Lord was doing in this season in the, in the body of Christ and through, uh, through ministry. And uh, they quoted Ezekiel uh, 34, where it says, I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And I was just thinking what a clarifying thought that was to, to remember that we are sheep, the sheep of his pasture, and the goal of a good shepherd is to lead them to where they can eat really well and they can drink really well. And the Lord's after fruitfulness. And so he wants us to actually prosper. He's in the prosperity business. It is a prosperity gospel, but not how it's been preached on TV for a lot of years. But he's in the fruitfulness business. And so for him, when his sheep are well-fed, when they're well taken care of, they're fruitful and they prosper. And so that's really what, where we left off this last week. I was teaching through Psalms 85. And you remember that that chapter is famous for uh, verse six, I believe it is. Will you not revive us again that your people might rejoice in you? Will you not revive us, Lord? And it's quoted all the time in revival meetings. That's such a good verse, but it's actually not the entire point of that chapter. The entire point of the chapter comes in verse 10, where it says that his glory may dwell in our land that the Lord's glory might dwell in our land. And that's what he's after because revival is like the first breath of a man who gets CPR and he comes back to life. And that's really good. We need that first breath to be revived, but it's actually unto something and it's unto the Lord's glory dwelling among us in our land, having a really good pasture and having the sheep well taken care of. And so there's, you remember, there was some prerequisites on that. It says that the fear of the Lord was required. He promises peace, but let them not turn back to folly. His glory will dwell in our land, but they must fear him or respect him and honor him. If you want to have peace, you cannot turn back. We talked about Lot's wife and how she turned back and became a pillar of salt. And then if you want his glory to dwell in the land, then you have to respect him in the midnight hour when no one's watching. You have to honor him when his eye is on you and it seems like no one's watching, but he's actually watching all the time. And so there's a reminder at the beginning of Psalms 85. What he did, there's a request, revive us again. There's the requirements. And then at the end of the chapter, there's the results. What does it look like when his glory dwells in our land? Well, love and truth, they meet together. These two things that should be incompatible, the truth of how I've been acting and my wickedness deep down in my heart and his love for me now on the cross meet together. And in the land where glory dwells, righteousness and peace kiss. These two things that should not be friends are now, they embrace together because his righteous requirement that prevents me from having peace really has been brought together in the blood of Jesus. It's been met there to where I have his shalom. I have his prosperity on my life. And then it says after that, truth springs up from the ground in the land where glory dwells because the seeds of truth are there. It says righteousness shines down like the sun above and it promotes growth in the land. It promotes fruitfulness in the land. And we've received several words over the last year and a half about this place being like a greenhouse where the glory of the Lord would dwell here and people would grow quickly. They would get, their roots would go down deep and their fruit would go up really high. That's what real growth, that's what real church growth looks like is for the glory to dwell in our land like a greenhouse effect and us to grow really strong in Christ Jesus. You being rooted 
and grounded in love may know together the height and width and length and breadth of the love of Christ. So that's what we want. We want a land where glory dwells. And at the end of that chapter, how we know this is about to happen, how we know, Psalms 85 says, how we know that this is coming is righteousness is a forerunner, like John the Baptist, a harbinger. It's going before him. And righteousness, right relationships with God and man are actually being promoted in such a way that it's making a path for us to walk in. The righteousness of the Lord goes before him and it creates a way in which we can walk. See, righteousness and the way I deal in my business has a direct effect to my church life. And the way I talk to my wife when I get home after this sermon and the way I deal with my kids has direct effect. It's every area of my life I need to be in righteousness and walking with the Lord. And this is a sign that the Lord's glory is dwelling in our land. When homes, when husbands and wives dwell in peace, that's a sign that his glory is about to dwell in our land in a real dramatic way. Revival starts right here. It starts in the home. So, question, do you want to live in a fruitful, abundant land where his glory dwells? If you think yes, then would you raise your hand? Do you want to live in a fruitful, abundant land where his glory dwells? Ah, see, I just set you up. What I did, I just set you up here. Okay, I do too. I want to live in that land The original blessing over the man and his wife was fruitfulness, yes? It was be fruitful. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue the enemy that's out of control and practice dominion on the earth. That was the original blessing. And the man and his wife for us represent who, everybody? Christ and his church. Christ as the head and his church as the body are meant to fulfill that original Genesis 1 blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and rule. That's what our call is. Well, I am convinced that the number one killer of that fruitfulness in the church over the last few years is offense. Because just like a husband and a wife who are meant to be together and meant to walk in oneness, if the house is divided, then they cannot stand. See, the enemy's number one goal, we all know this, is to steal, kill, and destroy. And how he accomplishes his goal is through division, right? Because if a house is divided, it can't stand. And so that's why church splits are such a nasty thing is because he just got a divorce to happen. And the kids are left over wondering, which parent do I go with? What do I do? And it's just a, it's a really bad thing. And it happens all the time. I heard a pastor say this last week that he's never seen a fence on the offensive like he has in the last two years. And I just, it cut my heart. I totally agree with that. Well, I preached a sermon five years ago in July of 2016, and I basically want to preach it again, hopefully better this time, but I want to share with you some insights that the Lord showed me as I was meditating on a passage and a vision that the Lord showed me about the nature of offense, about the growth of it, and about the results of it, 
And then on the flip side, on the positive side, about the nature of, un, uh, of uprooting that thing and what comes after that and where glory actually dwells in our land. So go with me, if you would, to Luke uh, chapter 7, and let's uh, start there. Luke chapter 7. Let's take a couple of passages here today. Jesus has a forerunner, John the Baptist, who according to Luke chapter 3 is in prison because he's telling Herod, you can't marry your brother's wife, it's not lawful. And John's disciples in verse 18 of chapter 7 told him about all the things Jesus was doing. He called two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? The men came to Jesus. They said, John wants to know, are you the one? Well, at that very time or that very hour, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to the many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And then he quotes out of Isaiah 26 and 29 and 35. He says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Basically, if I'm not him... I don't know who is. I'm doing exactly what Isaiah said I would do. And blessed, in verse 23, is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who is not offended because of me. And this passage really grabbed me this last week because I was thinking of the blessedness of the unoffended life. It's your choice. We have a choice. We have our offense that we can hang on to, or we have God's blessing. It's neither, you can't have both together. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You either keep your offense and hang on to that, or you have God's blessing in your life. And so what's presented to you as an option, as a choice of which way you're going to go. The number one killer of living under this blessing, blessed is the one, the number one killer of the fruitful blessing for the church is offense. This word is scandalizo, the stumble word, and it's de defined like this, to offend, to put an impediment in the way upon which another may fall, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey, to be offended in one, to see in someone else what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging their authority to cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly of another. John Bevere wrote a book uh, called The Bait of Satan. If you haven't read it, read it. It was like 1990s sometime. It's a best-selling book. And in that book, he says, offense is a tool of the devil to bring people into captivity. So you have to think about it like a trap. And there's two things that are required for a trap. It has to be hidden and you have to have some bait on the top of it. Because it's really easy for the enemy who seeks to devour someone to devour a trapped animal. Yes? You don't have to hunt a trapped animal. It's right there for you. And so offense is kind of hidden. And then the bait on the top is we take offense. We take it for ourselves, and then we're in captivity. What it does is it prevents us from walking in the fullness of the Spirit that we can walk in. It, it, it restricts the blessing of the Lord in our life. It traps us. It imprisons us, and it keeps us from God's purposes. It's a scheme of the devil. 
And all he has to do is to get us to take the bait. Because when we do that, I'm about to show you, everything falls into place because we put a seed into our hearts. And all he has to do is get us in the midst of that scheme. And when we take the bait, his work is done. He, he can leave us alone because we're in that trap. Has anyone ever experienced offense in this room? Don't raise your hand. Don't do it. Has anyone been offended at someone in this room? Don't look at them. Just look straight at me right now. Stay up here. Stay up here. Don't look to your right or your left. This is like rubber meets the road for me. I've got a master's degree in taking offense, right? And, and learning to lay it down again. This is practical life. So all these definitions here, what is the root of offense? Well, like in every other sin, the root of offense is pride. It starts with thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. In fact, the Bible says, don't do that. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Romans 12. Do not be conceited. A few years ago, I was really struggling. I was trying to prove myself right in a situation with a brother. And I went to the scriptures and I opened Romans 12. And that word came to me like a sword. And I thought, hey, everything that I'm struggling with really isn't about the issue. It's about I'm offended and I feel prideful. And he's down here and I'm up here. He's not as smart as I am. And so what we do is we say, I'm more knowledgeable and wise than this particularly incompetent person in front of me right now. That's the truth. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not bragging, but I'm just saying they're dumb and I'm smart, right? And number two, I deserve respect. I do not deserve to be treated this way. I can take a lot, but there's only so much I can take. And here's where I draw the line. This is unique and interesting because we've got a savior who could have and should have drawn the line everywhere in his life. And he chose to take all of our offenses and he never spoke up. He never spoke up. He was like a sheep that was led to slaughter. He was living the truly blessed life of the unoffended because he had zero pride. He had no reputation. He was a man who let the Lord take care of his reputation. And so he says, you can say about me what you want. You can do, the Lord is my defender. But I, I'm like, I'm gonna take a little bit of this for myself. I will protect my reputation. You need to know why I said what I said. You need to know my perspective on this. It's super important. Now, by the way, in saying all this, I'm not saying we don't communicate well. I'm not saying we're silent. We don't communicate about offenses. It's just how we do that is different. We don't take the angry route. We go in love and present that. I asked you a question earlier, if you want to live in the fruitful, abundant land. Question number two, who has offended you? I want you to think of a couple of first names, maybe three, maybe five. Who comes to your mind when I say that? Who has offended you? Offense is a game of give and take. Opportunities are abundantly given. Yes, I was at Dylan's the other day, pushing my little cart, taking 10 times longer to shop for groceries because I don't know where stuff is. Wandering around the store and I see a friend of mine, he passes by and I say, hey Tim, it's good to see you. I step over like this, shake his hand. I go back, the entire transaction takes about four seconds. I say, it's good to see you, buddy. A lady comes up behind him, waits for maybe two seconds. I didn't time it. 
And she says, I don't mean to be mean, but could you guys get out of my way, please? And I thought, well, here we go. And by the grace of God, I just walked off and said, bless her, Lord. She doesn't know what she's doing. Now, a few years ago, let's have a talk about what you just said. Are you kidding me right now, right? So they're all the time, the flip off in traffic, the whatever, the person at work, that constantly opportunities are given all day, every day, given for offense. What you take is really what's important though. If it's handed out to you, what you take is the deal. The trap only works if the bait is taken. So go with me, if you would, uh, to the main passage I want to focus on today in James chapter 3. I want to dive deep in this passage. We'll finish up with this. And I'm going to read uh, James 3, verses 13 through 18. This passage starts with taming the tongue and the dangers of of the tongue. And it goes uh, in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility or meekness that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy or jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, for where you have envy or jealousy and selfish ambition, there in that place you'll find every kind of disorder, confusion, and every vile and evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven, two types of wisdom, the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving and gentle and considerate. It's submissive or open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere without hypocrisy. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Start with me in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Meaning this, offense is always taken by those who believe they're more wise and understanding than the incompetent person, right? Always. Who is wise? And what he says is, here's the litmus test for true wisdom and true understanding. The proof is in the pudding. It's shown, it's demonstrated by your good life, by your conduct. Specifically, if your deeds are done in the meekness or humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom had a baby and it's called meekness. So if you really truly are a wise and understanding person, you will demonstrate the fruit of meekness in your life. You'll be like Jesus, who said, I'm meek and lowly of heart. You'll look more like Jesus. You'll act more like Jesus if you're truly wise. What is meekness? Meekness is not weakness. As it said before, meekness is restrained strength. Meekness is gentleness of spirit. It's humility. It's mildness of disposition. Towards God, it looks like this. I accept what you're doing in my life right now, Lord. I'm not going to be self-assertive. I'm, I'm not gonna beat my chest and try to get my own way. I'm going to, I'm not gonna dispute. I'm not gonna kick against what you're doing. I'm gonna rely on you wholly and completely if I'm facing injustice or injury. My life is in your hands, God. That's what Jesus did. Most powerful man ever on the planet, completely submitted to God's will in his life. Meekness towards people, 
Righteousness towards God, righteousness towards people. Meekness towards people is, I'm trusting that God's actually working in you in, through my life. He's working through you in my life. I trust that even though you're injuring me right now, even though you're doing it knowingly, you don't really know what you're doing. Forgive them, God, for they don't really know what they're doing. I know that God is purifying me through the negative thing that you just said about me or the misunderstanding. He's destroying the flesh. So again, this doesn't mean we don't go to people and communicate our offenses and hurts, but we're not angry. We're not self-assertive. We go to them in meekness. So, I want you to think about this passage with me in terms of the parable of all parables. Remember in Mark 4, he's the parable of the sower, the, the four heart soils. And he's like, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables. It's the kingpin. Basically this, the heart is the soil and what seeds go into the soil affect everything in your life. So I want you to think about this James 3 passage with me in terms of sowing and reaping, growing in a harvest, okay? And this is what was revealed to me years ago when I was dwelling on this passage. Offense is like a seed. When we take offense, we actually are putting a seed down in the soil of our tender hearts. That's what goes in there. Well, that seed then causes our heart to become defiled. It causes our heart to become mixed or impure, And in that foggy place where there's this mixture that happens, from the ground, a shoot comes up from that seed. And that shoot is called bitter envy and jealousy. So follow along with the passage here. If you harbor envy and jealousy in your heart, it comes up like a little plant out of your heart. That guy hacked me off with what he said. And I'm going to take offense at that. Well, that actually produces envy in my heart towards him. I kind of don't want him to do better than me in any area of life. I kind of don't want him to succeed in any area where I'm competing against him. I've got some jealousy towards that guy or that gal. Well, that plant, that jealous plant grows into a big plant and it blossoms into something called selfish ambition. And now I've got from my heart this plant called selfish ambition in my heart. From my heart, my mouth sparks, starts to speak boastful things. That's the next progression here. I start to boast about myself, putting myself up here, and I start to put that other person down. I'm smart about it, so I do it in kind of slight ways. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't come right out and say they're an idiot, but I'm like, man, did you hear about, ooh. I was kind of surprised, weren't you, about what they, ah, I wouldn't do that. My kids, wow. I'm always up and they're always down. And then the final progression here is I'm, after I'm boasting, I begin, listen to me, I begin to lie and deny. I begin to lie and deny the truth, specifically this. I become two-faced or a hypocrite around that person. And I'm saying falsehoods like this. The reason I'm leaving that church is because of this and, and their theological and, and the problem that I have with the, the way he, whatever. And it's a high and lofty thing. The reason I'm leaving this relationship and I'm not talking to this person anymore is because they're so evil and dark. That's a lie. That's not true. The reason you're actually leaving, because you were offended. 
You're mad at them and you're making it into something that it's not. Anybody ever experienced this? It's a hard thing. We're not, in, we're not watching the same movie. We're not on the same page. It didn't really happen like that. But what it's been made into is something bigger than it was. That's what offense does. It changes our thinking. It, it, it goes in and it makes our heart impure. I was actually, I left because of offense and hurt. But what I'm saying is, is I left that relationship because of something unreal. I talked to a guy the other day that was getting divorced from his wife. A guy who would profess Christ. I said, oh, man, is there, is there any hope? Can we, can, we, can we work? She's broken heart. Can we do anything about this? And he says, there's only so much a person can stand. She spends money at Walmart like nobody's business. She disrespects me. She says, my family is as important, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, yeah, but you made an oath. Is there anything we can do? And he said, no, I'm done. So what the deal was, was she and her spending habits were so bad and her disrespect for his family was so bad that it actually forced me to leave. When in reality, I'm just kind of hacked off at her and I'm offended in multiple different ways. So that's how I'm gonna close the door to this relationship. So he's lying and he's denying the truth. And he's boasting, and it all starts with that seed of offense. Everybody having a good time? Yeah, everybody having a good time? Offense, woo What I've just read out of James 3 described 99.9% of church splits and relational turbulence ever, ever. This is the deal. You know why this is so effective, especially in the body of Christ and believers? is because it's not presented, I heard a pastor say this, it's not presented like the devil with a red suit and horns and a pitchfork. It's actually presented as wisdom, isn't it? It's presented as discernment. See, I know about that person because I've got discernment, so that's why I'm staying away from them. I'm not even gonna talk to them because they've got demons all over them. (laughs) I'm not even gonna go engage with them because I've got discernment. I know the Holy Spirit... And I'm like, I got a tree in my eye and I can't get this, I'm trying to get this speck out of theirs because I'm denying the whole of the Bible when it talks about speaking in love to one another because I've got discernment. So this is why believers can buy in hook, line, and sinker to dividing and never speaking to that person again because it's couched in wisdom. And it is wisdom, it's earthly wisdom though, that yields a harvest of unrighteousness. Practicing discernment is sometimes a Christianese way of truly hating someone and acting in a totally unbiblical and unchristian way. Such wisdom, he says, verse 15, is not from heaven, but it's defined as this, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Why is it earthly? Because it's the world's way of doing things. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. Or you hurt me, so I'm going to close the door and never talk to you again. That's the world's way. It's unspiritual or soulish because our natural response, according to fallen nature, is an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But the supernatural response led by the Spirit is to be like Jesus, is to be meek. And it's demonic because this all started with the devil in the first place. What did he do? Well, he was offended at God. He thought more highly of himself. He started with pride. And then he took offense at who God was. And then he had bitter envy and jealousy in his heart. And then he had selfish ambition all rise up to the top. And then he was boastful. And now he's the father of lies. And I feel passionate about this because it's tearing the church apart and it's straight from hell. It started in hell. 
And this is what it is. Uh, so it's a word of warning for all of us, for me, and we do not have to be ignorant of his schemes. And I'm praying for you guys. And I'm asking for a hedge of protection from offense. I'm asking for a hedge of protection from division because if the house is divided, it cannot stand. Uh, we have time to do this. Take a left to Numbers chapter 12, if you would. We're gonna come back and finish up with James chapter three, but I gotta read this. This is one of the clearest examples of what I'm preaching about in the entire Bible, in my opinion. Moses had brother and a sister, three siblings, Aaron, Aaron and Miriam. Moses' mom, by the way, was a descendant of Levi, church family, pretty cool. Miriam the prophetess and Aaron the high priest. Numbers chapter 12. They began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, Ethiopian wife, dark complexion, Zipporah was her name. For he had married a Cushite. This is possibly his second wife, actually, we don't know. But one way or the other, they were offended at his wife. And then they say this. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? What about us? And the Lord heard this because the Lord always hears. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. He was meek. And at once, immediately, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, you kids, come here. Come here right now. Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So all three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and he stood at the entrance of the tent. He summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, now you've spoken, but I want you to listen to my words. I've heard your words. I want you to listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions, speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in my house. What you did was you came in my house and you attacked my son. With him I speak face to face, intimately, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to touch the apple of my eye? Why were you not afraid, brother and sister, to speak against the apple of the Lord's eye, his son, his daughter? They might be acting badly right now, but wouldn't you be afraid of touching the Lord's eye, poking his eye, when you speak against your brother and sister? Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam, who started this whole thing, her name was first, she misled, and she led, and Aaron was misled here. Miriam's skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Why? Because her external appearance reflected her internal appearance. It's a big deal. See, offense is like leprosy. Offense is a disease that decays the flesh. Offense is a disease that actually decays the spirit, just like leprosy. Leprosy is highly contagious, so is offense. Leprosy does nerve damage, neuropathy. It causes a loss of sensitivity to pain and temperature and touch. It deadens us. Offense deadens us to the temperature, the Lord, to the sensitivity of the Lord. So what the Lord does is like, here's what this is like. You want to see what this is like on the outside? This is what's happened on the inside when you speak against your brother and sister. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we've so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord four words. 
The only thing that Moses says in this entire chapter is a prayer for his accusers. Please, Lord, heal her. Please, God, heal her. The only sentence he speaks is a prayer for healing. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. And after that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days. And all of the people together did not move forward. They did not move on until she was brought back because a a fence keeps you and it keeps me and it keeps all of us from moving forward into the purposes that the Lord has for us. That's the truth. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron, the high priest, they had some places of authority and honor, but even though they were exalted, they were jealous of Moses and it started with a fence because of his wife. That seed got down in there and then jealousy grew into selfish ambition, boastful things, and they were denying the truth. The Lord had spoken through them, but they were acting like he hadn't. All right, let's go back and finish up in James chapter three. We're gonna get to the good side of this here in just a second, I promise. We've reviewed earthly wisdom, which is a fence, which yields a harvest of unrighteousness, Now let's land this plane here. Heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, which is meekness. And it yields a harvest at the end of this passage of righteousness. Again, I want you to think about this in terms of sowing and reaping in the soil. So when we confess offense, we actually pull out of our heart that plant, which has the seed at the bottom of it. We pluck it out of our heart. The result is purity of heart. And blessed are the pure in heart because what happens to them? They will see God. They have clear air now. And not only can they see God, they can see their brother and sister now according to the spirit and not according to the flesh because they've plucked up that offense. They no longer look through that lens. Everything she says is against me. Every little action is about me. Everything he does over there, I'm sure he's thinking about, we're bloated and thinking of ourselves way more highly than we ought, thinking that person's thinking about us 24-7. It's not true. But when we pull that offense up, it clears the air and we see God. Offense is a stumbling block because it blinds us and we trip and fall in the dark. It says, we sow a seed then, Offense is, first of all, uh, wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure and then peace-loving. So what I believe is then we sow, instead of a seed of offense, we now sow into the soil of our heart peace. Peace always follows purity. We sow that peace into the soil of our heart, and what comes up? A shoot of gentleness, consideration. It rises up from the ground, and we become tender-hearted people, forbearing, sweet, amiable. And then from that sweet plant of gentleness, these blossoms begin to come off. We begin to look more like Jesus. We become submissive and open to reason. Willing to yield is what one passage says, one translation. We're persuadable. We're satisfied with less than our due. We're easy to please. We're compliant. And then another blossom that comes off is we're full of mercy and good fruits. We begin to give people not what they deserve, but we're actually overflow. We're full to the point of overflowing with kindness to those who deserve no kindness. And good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
We're impartial. We associate and identify with the lowly and despised, the least of these. That's true wisdom. True wisdom is to identify with those who will inherit the earth someday. And the poor in spirit will inherit the earth. We're sincere. We become genuine truth tellers without hypocrisy because we have a pure heart so we can honestly love people. You know, not all offenses have to be confessed. Most offenses just have to be prayed through. We have to intercede for that person. You know the ones that do have to be confessed though? When you go to the altar to offer your gift and there remember that your brother holds something against you, first go leave your gift, be reconciled with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift and it will be accepted. It's those ones that nag at us. It's the name that I mentioned earlier, who has offended you. Those are the ones. Now, the memory might still be there. If you've forgiven someone their offense, that memory of what they did might still be there, but the gut check isn't there. You know what I mean? Like when you walk into a party and they're there and you're like, oh, hey, or when you hear they're going to be at a location, your stomach goes, oh man, they're going to be there. It's going to be awkward. That's what you have to get clean of. You have to go to them as far as it depends on you. They might not offer you forgiveness, but you got to lay it down. You got to lay it down and pray for them to where when you see them again, your response can be, I love you. We're going to spend eternity together. I love you. Yeah, you did that, whatever, but I love you. That's a big deal. Those are the ones that have to get out of our hearts that make our hearts defile. So we honestly love people. So let me finish up. Heavenly wisdom births meekness and it yields a harvest of righteousness. What is sown? Peace is sown. Seeds of peace are sown. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the son of God. See, all of this is about coming back to our original blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and rule. There is a blessing in the land where glory dwells. But again, I'll say this. You can either have your offense or you can have massive blessing from the Lord. It's an opportunity for you. You I think Brian said this the other day. The Lord's like, I've got more anointing for you and it's coming in the package of this difficult situation that you can choose to be offended of or you can lay it down and become more like Christ. More anointing comes when you choose to not be offended. So I wanna encourage you guys to confess it and plant seeds of peace and become more and more like Jesus. If you're offended because of this message, please pray for me. If you can't get over that, then come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, This is a good day.